0: In the Christian life, knowledge and obedience go together. In the kingdom of God, there is no separation between learning and living. All Bible truths are practical, not theoretical. That means one cannot say they understand it if they do not live it. Any knowledge of God which does not connect to living for God is knowledge which is not useful for God. Jesus helps us understand salvation is open to all who will place their trust in him. But being a disciple is for believers who are willing to pay the price in order to follow him. If my love for him is producing an easy path to follow him, I must start questioning my love for him. We're in uh, our series on the seven mandates where we are now in week five, so let's quickly Go through the first four mandates that we've talked about. Mandate number one it must be a presence driven church. Mandate number two it must be historically generous church. Mandate number three we must be a caring church. Mandate number four we must be a feeding church, which leads into mandate number five we must be a developing church. We're going to talk about making disciples. And at the end of this message, I am going to ask you probably the most difficult question I've ever asked you in 11 and a half years, and it might be the most difficult question I ever ask you at the end of this message, okay? No hype, not, not trying to build it up. I'm letting you know there may be a little bit of conviction in this message as we travel our way through uh, Scripture with a bunch of Scriptures. But I have a question to kind of kick off this message. How many of us are disciples of Jesus? Okay, wonderful. I'm preaching to the right crowd. Uh, If you didn't raise your hand, no worries, uh, no judgment, but it helps to know who I am speaking with. Uh, Matthew, uh, in Luke chapter six, I'm reading one verse. I don't know that I've ever directed your attention to one verse and told you to turn there, uh, but this verse is so important that I'm drawing your attention to it and not some of the passages that are lengthier. Uh, because if there is another passage, you can put a marker in Matthew 28. Uh, but since it's close, you don't even have to put a marker there. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, How come you keep calling me Lord if you don't do what I say? That's a loaded question. <laughs> Jesus, like stopping people in their tracks. Uh, question. I just wonder if he was like this. How come you keep calling me Lord, but you don't do anything I say? I think Jesus is pointing out a problem with humanity. We talk a big game but we don't always back it up. And what you're gonna see in this message is disciples are not talkers. I wonder if it would not be incredibly appropriate to connect Luke 6:46 to Matthew 28. Jesus catches his disciples by surprise after the resurrection, before the ascension. And he says what? Go! Literally in the Greek, what he's actually saying is a a word for going, which means since you're already going. So with the whole go, like this was the first time Jesus had said it, he had already sent them out. He had sent out the 12, he had sent out the 70, he had sent them out in pairs. He, he was saying, since you're already going, here's what I want you to do. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. He literally says, in the end, teach these new disciples. I'll read the whole thing. Jesus come, comes and tells his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples. This is, these four words right here, in my opinion, are a great picture of what it means to be a developing church. Teach new disciples. I'm gonna show you the, the cy- cyclical pattern of teaching new disciples. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always. Always. Even to the end of the age. Here's kind of my definition and perspective of a developing church. A developing church is consistently making new disciples who become strong disciples, and strong disciples who become disciple making disciples who make new disciples. It's just the circle right here. This is. In my opinion, a genius strategy for growth on Jesus' part. And the amazing thing is he asks us to get involved. Three things that I wanna wanna submit to you uh, that are required for us to be a part of a developing church. Here's the first thing, we must learn to know. We must learn to know. If we're gonna be a developing church, we must teach people to learn what they need to know. We could have gone in a lot of different directions, but I wanna give you three things. Essentially, part of what I talked about last week. First thing, we need to teach them to know God. And I don't mean know God as a believer on the front end. I mean to live a life designed to know more and more about God. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever, amen. Preston, I want you to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. Who came to do what? Show us what the Father is like. The way to know the Father is to look at how the Son rolled. Grow in your knowledge of God. Here's the way I've said it for years. The lovers of God must be the best studiers of God. When I proposed to Holly, when I was down on one knee, I had totally caught her by surprise. Ladies, this was the most cruel trick any about to be fiance has probably ever played on any uh, unsuspecting young lady. Uh, I swept in, flying in. She didn't know I was coming. She had just come from practice. She had showered. I had told her to go to some friends of ours, to their home. She shows up in one of my extra-large sweatshirts with sopping wet hair. She didn't even dry her hair. Like, you know how people be like, they they go to Paris and they're like almost wearing wedding attire so that they could take a great Instagram photo, you know, in front of the, like, this was not that moment. While I was down on one knee, I quoted Ruth chapter one, but then I said, I want you to know by the time I die, I will know more about you than any human who's ever walked the face of this earth, including your parents. And I still say it to her from time to time. Because this is what lovers do. See, we we have this idea that lovers make love. That's hilarious. People pay for love who don't actually love one another. Real love, to me, is in part defined by how you study the one you love. You don't know near what I know about my wife. Why? Because I love her more than you do. You're not bad, I, I just have a love for her that has caused me to study her, and I know more about her than any human being alive, including her father. He knows some things I don't know, but I know more. Why? Because lovers should be the best studiers. If we're gonna be a developing church, we have to raise up people who are chasing after Not the knowledge of God so that they can know something, but the knowledge of God so they can come even closer to him. The more I learn about God, the closer I feel to him. The lovers of God should be the best studiers of God. Here's the second thing. We need to teach people to know God's word. Can I get an amen? One of the reasons why, it is impossible to know God apart from God's word. Don't tell me you know God if you don't know God's word. You know something somebody told you about God, but you don't know if it's right. It's impossible to know God apart from the word of God. Also, remember this, and I'm gonna take you there. If you wanna see it in your own Bible, you can flip over to Genesis 3, and we'll read six verses together. But here's another something that's very important, another why we must teach and train people to know the word of God. I'm not just talking about pastors, I'm talking about disciples. Because the better you know the word of God, the easier it will be for you to detect Satan's lies and reject his offers. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? Notice, this is the first question in the Bible. Out of all of the questions that could have gone first, this is the first one, do you know why? I believe it's so that God could show us Satan's primary play in his playbook to get us to question God's word. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Okay, let me hit the pause button before we go to the next verse. Do do you already see she's omitted something from God's word? And she's added something to it. Go back to Genesis 2 in your study time this week, and hopefully you have some study time alone with the Lord. Go study what God says to Adam in chapter 2. He says, you can freely eat of all the trees in the garden. She took out freely. She took out all. He said freely. You can eat from all of the trees except she omitted the freely. So she's making it sound like Well, no, yeah, we can't, but no, we can't. Freely, God, God said freely. You can eat it all, except this. She omits some things, then she adds, and God said you can't touch it. Seems small, God didn't say that. God did not say don't touch it. He said don't eat from that tree. Okay, so she's taken some stuff away, and she's added some stuff to it. This is evidence of someone who doesn't fully know, let alone trust in God's words. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Watch this, the woman was convinced. That's how little It took to convince her of something God didn't say. And here's the why. Because she didn't know it well enough. If she did, she'd have quoted it verbatim. She took some stuff away. She added some stuff to it. Evidence. She did not know what God had said. She'd heard it. She didn't know it. I'm not talking about know it. I'm talking about know it she saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her look now in her mind she's making excuses why she should eat the fruit she took some of the fruit and ate it and she gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too the fall of man started with man's disconnection from the word of god god had already said And here's what Genesis three shows us. A child of God disconnected from the word of God is an easy target for the enemies of God. This is why I try to be telling you, get in the book. And she was convinced. Somebody who was in the presence of God, he was walking among the cool breeze of the garden She was literally hearing his words. And she was easy to convince? Look how easy it is to convince now. We got people saying all kinds of things. Making stuff up. Well, this means this. That means that. And it's really more just interpretation than it is standing on the entirety of God's word. Here's the third thing, we need to teach people to know God's ways. We need to raise people up who know God, they're pursuing Him relationally and intimately, people who know God's word, but also know God's ways. Incredible verse, Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, "'Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, Probably shouldn't stop here because I don't have enough time, but I'm stopping along the road anyways. If you study this out in the original language, there's a word picture associated with this bunching of words. It is a limitless pit that will never run dry. Paul says, Preston, let me try and explain the knowledge of God to you, the wisdom of God. Preston, imagine the deepest and widest expansive pit earth or the universe will ever know and then multiply it by 10 trillion. And then every day for the rest of your life, multiply it by 10 trillion. This is the wisdom and knowledge of the God you call father. With that picture, watch what he says next. He says, how unsearchable are God's judgments and his ways past finding out. This word where we get past finding out, the Greek word is the word anexiknayastoi. Say that eight times fast. Anexiknayastoi. And there's a picture attached to this. It means incapable of being traced by footprints. (laughs) When I saw this studying this week, this leveled me. A God capable of being completely understood is not God at all. Why are God's ways unsearchable? The very word, The Spirit of God uses to inspire Paul to write, to describe God's ways. And exignia means unable to be traced by footprint. Here is the picture. Why are God's ways unsearchable? Because one of his favorite things is being chased by you. And the picture I've had chasing God was like on a beach. Anybody ever see the, the footprints on the beach? painting back in the day for those of us who are older, that I, I think that was just ingrained in my brain and in my heart and I just thought chasing after God involves trying to, through his word and through our relationship, discern where his footprints on the beach are and then I just follow those f- footprints. That's actually not how it goes. If I can't trace him by his footprints, And yet he says, if you will come after me, I will be found by you. How do I find him? It's his voice. Come here, Preston. Come here, Preston. I want to show you something about me I've never shown you before. Come here, Preston. Come here, Preston. I want to tell you something about me I've never told you before. Now go back to that limitless pit where every day for the rest of eternity you multiply by one trillion, 10 trillion, 100 trillion. Here's what God says, Preston, I so badly love being chased by you and being found by you that I am the one who is unsearchable in all my ways. I don't ever want you to stop chasing me. And so we will walk together for eternity, but you will never come to the end of me. That is one of the greatest promises you can give a lover of God. Think about it. We turn our brains off once we think we've figured it out. I say it all the time. Hashtag Hallmark movies. I love, my heart is turned on when I watch them because my wife's heart is turned on. I was going to make a joke there, but don't. Stick to the plane, Preston. (laughs) But I turn my brain off when I watch Hallmark movies. Why? Because I know how it's gonna end. Try and wrap your mind around going into the presence of God all by yourself multiple times a day, not just for the rest of your life, but for the rest of eternity. And God making a promise. I want you to know for the rest of eternity, I'm gonna show you things about me I've never shown you before, and we're never gonna run out of things for me to show you. Why, 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 why do we walk into God's presence alone in the secret place acting like it's some obligation? It is the opportunity of a lifetime. He told me I can go in anytime I want and he will show me a side of himself he's never shown me before. And we can do it over and over and over and over and over and over forever? We can't just raise up people who know God's word. We have to raise people up who the more they know God's word, the nearer they draw to the God of the word. Here's the second point. If we're gonna be a developing church, we can't just teach people to know, we have to teach them to live. Can't teach them just to know it, we gotta teach them to live it. Probably one of the most difficult one-liners in this message, if following Jesus is an easy thing for you, you aren't following Jesus. Can I get an amen? You may love him, but there's no way you're following him. If it's easy, there's no, I'm not saying you don't love him. I'm saying you don't fault him. And I'm going to show you there's a difference. Jesus, I love you. Uh, yeah, Preston, how much do you love me? He asked that to Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. Jesus said, then do this for me. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 Say, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Watch this next part. Here's the why. That you may walk. We want you to be filled with the knowledge of God. That you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The word filled here is a key word in the entire book of Colossians. One of the reasons why, because in this day, the Gnostics were a group of people who were kind of peddling this higher level of learning thing. They they were saying that they had superior knowledge, all right? And it was like their hook. If, if it was in the Instagram age, they, they would be creating these reels. We know something no one else on the earth knows. That was kind of the Gnostics vibe. We have this superior level of knowledge. So this, this is the audience that is a part of who's, being, who's reading and hearing these words in this letter. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Not just know something, but what you know changes the way you walk. And while you walk, you're increasing in the knowledge of God. The word filled here in the Greek carries the idea of being fully equipped. It was used to describe a ship that was ready for a voyage. A beautiful picture to me of a disciple Jesus can use is a ship that is equipped and ready to go, and goes. What good is a ship which has been equipped for a voyage, who never actually goes on a voyage? They get to heaven, they just don't bring anybody with them. In the Christian life, knowledge and obedience go together. In the kingdom of God, there is no separation between learning and living. All Bible truths are practical, not theoretical. That means one cannot say they understand it if they do not live it. Two words found in Colossians 1 verse 10, in my opinion, summarize the comprehensive practicality of the Christian life. Here's the two words, walk and work. Any knowledge of God which does not connect to living for God is knowledge which is not useful for God. The question for the believer is not, what do you know? The question is, what do you live? If I don't live it, I cannot make the case I actually know it. Luke 6, verse 40, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained, fully equipped, like that picture of the ship, ready for a voyage, the student who is like that ship will become like the teacher. A couple of things. I don't have enough time to, to really hang here, but three, three snapshots of this type of disciple. First, devotion. Devotion. A disciple is a devoted learner. One who attaches themself, himself or herself, to a teacher in order to learn a trade or a subject and eventually become like the teacher. Luke chapter 14, Jesus, the the crowds are following him everywhere by now. Okay, there's this moment in Luke 14 that's just fantastic, where it appears that Jesus is getting a little frustrated just inwardly at all these people following him, but most likely they weren't really following him. They wanted to see the miracles, you know, they wanted to see the crazy stuff, you know, be cast out, like they, they wanted to see the show, but they weren't really following Jesus. And so it's as though in Luke 14, Jesus just, he, he just goes there. And this is one of those moments, you should study it out this week, because I'm not gonna go through the whole chapter, but Jesus starts talking about a couple of things, but they're all around this one idea. And here's the idea, I'm not after a big crowd. I'm not after a bunch of people who just like being around me. I'm looking for an army who will go do what I'm doing. And listen to how he drops a bomb in the middle of the room of all these people who are just loving on Jesus. Verse 26, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. It seems that in multiple places during Christ's three-year run of ministry on the earth that Jesus is drawing a, a distinct line between being a believer and being a disciple. Jesus helps us understand salvation is open to all who will place their trust in him. But being a disciple, is for believers who are willing to pay the price in order to follow him. The Aramaic word used for hate in this verse really means to love a great deal less. In other words, here's what Jesus would say to me, Preston, you can be a believer, someone who loves me, But if you love Holly, my wife, more than you love me, you can be a believer, but you're not a disciple. Preston, if we did a comparison of all the people you love, and it appears as though you love any of them more than you love me, that can be a believer, that's not a disciple. Jesus literally says, if this is true of you, Preston, you cannot be one of my disciples. I can be a believer. I'm going to heaven. I receive what Jesus did. The thief on the cross was a believer, not a disciple. Massive distinction. Our love for Jesus must be so strong that all other love is like hatred by comparison. I wish I had more time for this. I gotta, I gotta fly. But Acts 2, 42 in my opinion, five of the most important words in all of scripture. Watch how the church, the people of God, explode on the scene. It in part comes down to these five words. All the believers devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They weren't just believers, they were were devoted disciples. It goes on to help us understand they didn't see anything they owned as their own. Oswald Chambers says it like this, there's always an if in connection with discipleship, and it implies that we need not be disciples unless we like. There is never any compulsion. Jesus does not coerce us. There is only one way of being a disciple, and that is being devoted to Jesus. Which brings us to the next thing, love. Jesus made it clear the mark of one of his disciples was love. If we did a study on the church during COVID, what words would you use to describe the church you saw? Tell you what words I would use anger, arguments, politics, opinions, factions. How many adjectives would we use before we got to anything resembling love? she was loving. And yet time and time again, Jesus would say things like this, John 13 verses 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. That's strong language. Preston, this is not a suggestion. For my disciples, this is a mandate. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is going to be hard to hear, but it's for all of us. What we saw a lot of during COVID is the church is filled with a lot of believers, not a lot of disciples. I get it. It hurts to hear. I watched it in the church I pastor. Not calling anybody out. I watch people get ticked because I didn't have this politician come into the room and stand on this stage. I got in more trouble for doing nothing than I ever have at any point in my career. We're leaving your church. Why? Because you didn't do this. I get it. That's between you and the Lord. I totally understand. But you know what I didn't see a lot of? Even in a conversation like that, Do you realize not one of those conversations started with the words, Preston, we love you so much. I never mind when people leave. And I always know why they're leaving when the first sentence involves love. God's leading them somewhere else. But when it starts with their anger, I don't know you can make the case that the Spirit of God is leading them. Let's move on, shall we? (laughs) Believers love Jesus. Disciples love who Jesus loves, the way Jesus loves. I was gonna go through this kind of semi-dramatic. What if I were sitting down with my son and I said, Tyler, questions what would you say about a man or a woman who understood all of the secrets of God? What word would you use to describe that person? And Tyler would probably say, oof, oh, that's really impressive, Daddy. Tyler, what would you call a man or a woman who knew everything about everything but wasn't God? He'd probably use... Huge words to describe how awesome it would be to be that person. And then what if I said to Tyler, Tyler, well, how would you describe a man or a woman who could literally speak to Camelback Mountain and it would be thrown into the ocean from here? And Tyler would probably go, Ooh, I'd say this is like a Marvel movie now, Daddy. Let me read you. Paul describes someone like this and it will blow you away how Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes a person who is all three of these. 1 Corinthians thirteen two. if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. This is why Jesus said, Preston, love is the kicker. In a fallen world where everyone's gonna wanna hate everyone, love always stands out, especially a love, which does what we're about to, to talk about next, sacrifice. His disciples always, are always acquainted with sacrifice. Ephesians 5, verse 2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Here's what you have to remember about love. Love runs on sacrifice, which means love without sacrifice isn't love, it's just like. Some of you are like, Preston, we don't like when you're tired. Please. (laughs) I just was reading the Bible. This word that I'm using, sacrifice, a, a more scriptural term might be denial. Jesus talks about denying yourself. And it's not denying Jesus. It's not the denial of Jesus. It's denying for Jesus. John 14, 27, Jesus says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. The word picture here is similar to the one we talked about with love. It's not that you literally give away every single thing. It's that nothing you have is in your eyes or in your heart or mind comparable to the value you place on him. That's the picture. Time and time again, Jesus would say, my disciples are gonna be known for love and love runs on sacrifice. And one of the fastest ways to get somebody's attention, sacrifice. This is why Jesus says in John 15, greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for his friend. Preston's paraphrase, Preston, I'm going to get the attention of the whole earth like a streaker running onto the field at a Super Bowl game. I'm going to get the attention of the whole earth and here's how. I'm going to show him my love. I'm going to do what no one else will. I'm going to die for it. This is why I'm saying not just to you, I'm saying it to me. If my love for him is producing an easy path to follow him, I must start questioning my love for him. Not his love for me, my love for him. Ephesians 5, in the same way Christ laid his life down for others, Preston, this is what I expect out of you. Lay your life down for them as well brings us to point number three, and this will be fast. We must learn to teach. So we must raise up people who know, but we can't just dwell in the land of knowing. We need to raise up people who live what they know. But then we need to raise up everybody to teach. I'm not just talking about the office of teacher. I'm talking about the act of teaching. Believers believe, disciples, disciple. Jesus came, this is Matthew 28 again, I'm gonna read it to you again. Jesus came and told his disciples, go and make disciples. Teach these new disciples. Here's the problem, most people in the church, most believers in Jesus, think you have to have a PhD to publicly talk about Jesus. And if I were your enemy, if I was the enemy of the church, that's what I would do too. It would bridle her. In most cases, she'd become mute. Wanna know why John is my favorite disciple? Because there's a moment where some people around him who were not on his side, realized he was a man with very little education. And here's what they said. He was not a man who was trained at the highest level educationally, but he was a man who was with Jesus. I got some smart friends, but I wonder if Jesus had to pick between me being smart, and please hear me, I'm not downplaying knowledge. I just spent two-thirds of the message talking about it. If Jesus had to pick between me being highly educated and smarter than everyone in the room or me being one who was endeavoring to spend more time alone with him than anyone else in the room, which would he pick? This is why John is my favorite. Because I'm not as smart as everyone else. I'm probably not as smart as half the people in this room. But this little boy never set that as his goal. He had a much different goal. By the time I die, I don't need people to say he was the smartest man in the room. I just want one or two of them to say, oh my word, that's a man who has been with Jesus. Please hear me, you don't need to have a doctorate to teach. And by God's grace, with the empowerment of the Spirit, we're about to raise up an army of teachers who teach somebody something. Everyone in this room should teach somebody something. I can't be a disciple without it. Let me illustrate this. I need a couple of guys. I need uh, one, two, three, four, five. I need five, please. Just so I can jump up on this stage. I'm doing this more and more. Okay, I need two over here, and I need three over here. Okay, two over here and three over here. It's great. Okay, everybody on this side. Okay, this, this is Jesus, all right? <laughs> this is you, all right? Jesus, you, someone else. Over here, Jesus, you, no one else. The most brilliant strategy for growth humanity will ever know involves the picture you're looking at right now. You are visually seeing what a believer looks like and what a disciple looks like. A believer knows Jesus, believes in Jesus, loves Jesus, is going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. But a believer doesn't take anybody with him. The most brilliant growth strategy in the history of humanity is this right here. Jesus gives you something, teaches you something about himself. Could be through a teacher, could be through a long time in his word, could be through a holy moment Jesus gives you something and you in turn give that something to somebody else now I need another man give me another one or a woman if you want to jump up here I'm not I'm not either way I just if a lady's wearing a dress yeah I've got to be careful okay if you just come stand over here No, nope, that's the believer side Look, Jesus passes it to you. You pass it to someone. They pass it to someone else. Give me somebody else. Hurry, hurry, just give me somebody else. Just jump up. That was like Dukes of Hazzard-ish right here. Look, Jesus gives you something. You give somebody something. That somebody gives somebody else something. That's somebody else, give somebody else something. That's somebody else, give me somebody else. We could do this until the room is empty. Here's the most genius strategy for growing the kingdom of God. The God of the universe puts you between him and them. But here's the catch, if you want, You can just do this. Believers don't make disciples because they're not disciples. Disciples make disciples. Here's the hardest question I've ever asked our church. And I've actually already asked you the question. And almost all of you raised your hand. Here's another way to say the question. Are you this, or are you that? We you bow your heads and close your eyes? That's Second Timothy two right there, we just illustrated it. Paul says to Timothy, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This is what we do, and this is what we're gonna spend a good chunk of our lives doing. And I believe the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more invaluable this strategy will be. I'm not talking about our strategy, I'm talking about his. He doesn't want you just to be a believer. And I mean, no disrespect to that term, but by comparison, it sure feels like like to me compared to the love of a disciple. I'm not here to make you feel terrible. The Holy Spirit is here to possibly bring conviction. You don't need to beat yourself up. If you, for the first time, realize, I, I've just been a believer my entire time following Christ. Okay, make a change. It's part of why you're going to see us doing what we're doing, and i have already begun. Disciples make disciples, and it's impossible for new believers and new disciples not to come into the fold when God is in the midst of a people like that. Jesus grew in favor with God and man as a child on this earth, fully God and fully man, in part to help us understand. Preston, I want you to know where I'm present. A people growing. In favor with God and man. Preston, can I trust new believers to this church? And can I trust that those new believers will become new disciples and those new disciples will become strong disciples and those strong disciples will become disciple making disciples. Preston, can I trust this church? Not going to lie, I would love for the rest of my life until he takes me to his side. I would love to do nothing else other than spend time alone in the secret place. But my addiction for him, and every time I go in to be with him, he ends up talking about somebody else. God, I pray right now for an anointing to be on our church. God, would you anoint us to be men and women who live as disciples, who can't sleep at night unless they're making disciples. God, this may be the most foolish prayer I've ever prayed out loud in front of them. It may lead to a smaller crowd just like it did with Jesus. But in an upside-down kingdom, even if the crowd gets smaller, God, you know the army gets stronger and bigger. Spirit of the living God, please, 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 would you teach us how to do this, how to live this, how to teach this? Father, forgive us. Forgive me for ever getting too comfortable in the secret place that I don't come out and try and drag someone else in with me. God, would you please on our church to be a place where both can be true, a people who love your presence, but they love raising up others who don't just seek the secret place. They build your kingdom by building up disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.